I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Surya Das's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Surya Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. Hi everyone, I'm Lama Suryadas, the American Lama, and welcome to the latest episode of my Awakening Now podcast on the Be Here Now network, founded by Ram Das. And many of us, friends and colleagues, Dharma sisters and brothers, are working together on this project, spreading the good word, joining heads and hearts and hands for a better world, a better future, and Awakening Now on the spiritual path, making the journey from head to heart and beyond. So today, I have my old buddy, Reverend Wayne Muller. He lives in Santa Fe. He's an author. He's a great guy. He's a philanthropist. He has a lot of social activity, projects, feeding the poor, and other things. He's written a bunch of books. He's written a book on the Sabbath. He's written a book about relationships. He's written a book called How Shall We Live? My, my favorite title of his is called Legacy of the Heart, The Spiritual Advantages of a Painful Childhood. I often quote that title, Wayne, because it's so unusual. And then I get to say and kind of whine, you know, and joke about, oh, my God, maybe there's some hope for us after all. And I look around <laughs> the room, you know, like being funny. <laughs> Because we all, you know, I mean, there's a part of us that feels afflicted by the past rather than drawing the lessons, learning the lessons and, you know, taking control, if you want, mastery of our destiny, understanding 
where happiness and fulfillment lies and going in that direction, putting that in motion, etc. Yeah, and, and at the same time, you know, um, uh, they're both true, of course. You know, uh, you know, if people had uh, an alcoholic and abusive uh, family, if there was um, um, abuse of an intimate kind, sexual abuse, um, uh, there's no question that there was sorrow, there was um, pain, there was confusion, there was loss. So that it's not that the the pain wasn't real, but it also doesn't define us ultimately. And I think where I tried. To to be of some use was to accompany a lot of people who had taken that experience and named themselves by that experience. And but then you know Jesus talks about people being the light of the world, and the Buddha talks about us having this innate natural perfection, which is quite a bit larger than an adult child of an alcoholic. <laughs> uh, and so uh, you know it's certainly part of what's true about me, but it's not the only thing that's true. And and when we grow up in those kind of families, it actually teaches us to really pay attention and listen carefully to what people are saying uh, beneath the language and to be still and sort of read the energy in the room and to um, uh, and to watch the, and develop your intuition uh, so that you can feel what's coming before it comes. So. It actually is. It's great monastic training. <laughs> it's not the kind you would like to go through if you had to. But if that's what you're given, and that just happens to be what I and a lot of people were given, we were also given these astonishing opportunities. So uh, monastic training, in the sense of it's an austerity, but uh, we could get, perhaps find a lot of gifts in that, like realize how little we need to be from outside to be content and happy or to love and to have compassion for other suffering and things like that. I found a lot of gifts in the hardships and sufferings. In fact, some of the knockdowns in life and I've had, I feel like I've had a very blessed and fortunate life and have grown up from an intact family and, you know, in the first world country and had all the education opportunities, not to mention my decades with the great gurus in Asia mm -hmm. and having health and time, you know, for that in my life. But um, the knockdowns, the tragedies and crisis, sometimes were the greatest catalyst for my own transformation. Mm -hmm. when, the, when the rut was pulled out, from, you know, I wanted to get out of my rut, but I couldn't leave it. And the rut was pulled out from under me. Mm -hmm. It helped a lot. Or uh, not succeeding at everything. I'm kind of used to being able to do whatever I set my mind to. And so not su succeeding at everything, learning that lesson and gaining some humility and uh, empathy for others who can't accomplish everything. You, you, you talk about the gifts that come from these kind of difficulties. Could you say more about the delight and the wisdom that come from bearing the suffering and in enduring and the uh, long, maintaining the long picture and the long enduring connections and mm -hmm. bonds? Well, you know, interestingly, I, I think it actually, um, ultimately leads into uh, the invitation to some kind of Sabbath time um, because what happens is, at least for me and my experience, I've had a, in addition to whatever happened in my childhood, I've, um, I've had uh, three life-threatening illnesses and have certainly accompanied many, many people through horrific 
um, moments, um, horrific experiences that, that that humble me just thinking about them. But you can't really stay asleep um, when everything is pulled out from us. So, you know, I have to go inside and find what I have that is reliable and trustworthy and not dependent on the outside world and and learn how strong I am and to learn um, that every breath as I learn how to feel it moves slowly in and out of my body is this astonishing blessing and gift and uh, every moment that I'm not in pain is a miracle and uh, uh, and and to be able to uh, rather than run around trying to grab as many toys as I possibly can in my arms um, uh, to be still uh, you learn that in, in and when you're young because when they start shooting you the targets that are moving are the ones that are the easiest to see. <laughs> so you you learn how to be still, sort of by uh, by default. But um, but then you learn in that stillness that you can see a lot more of what's going on, and you realize that you've been shaken out of a trance that everyone else is in. And um, and that's not anything that's superior or um, uh, doesn't make me any any better or different than than them. I'm just as susceptible to be in any trance at any given time. But but you learn when you're still, or at least many people do, when you watch how people get involved in things that are so self defining and we see this in in our technologies and the number of hours we work in the in the lack of rest and sleep that we get that we get into a trance of productivity accomplishment getting to the bottom of an endless to-do list that will never ever happen in this lifetime and and that trance becomes so strong and 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 things like um uh, having our body suddenly fail to do what bodies are supposed to do or to have all of our um, financial security or physical security taken away, then suddenly the thing we have to really pay attention to are the most essential things, our life, our breath, the water we drink, the, s the sleep we get, and all those other things that everyone's running after we can't afford to give energy to. We don't have energy for that. And so the gift of being liberated from the trance of ordinary, acquisitive, productive, accomplishing time is something that most people speak of um, when they've gone through a really deep cancer experience or a horrific illness for which they've been blessed to come out on the other side. They often talk, as even Ramdas has about his stroke on many occasions, um, that, that the gift was you get shaken awake in a certain way that's it's not inevitable because it's very easy to go back to sleep um, and and the seduction is always there but at least for a few moments um, you can't ever completely forget that you were shaken awake yes that's the point of awakening to awaken from this daydream and this hypnotic trance that we're in as you said um, for example over identifying as I am just this and that and I, these are my limits like I you mentioned I am just 
thinking you are the adult child of alcoholic parents and mm-hmm. overlooking that you also, you know, other things like homo sapien, um, a, a man, um, a member of the writer, fam- family of the yeah, earth, you know, child right, part of, of the child of God, child of right. creation and things like that. So the question of who we are and identity is so important. Of course, the spiritual paths and perennial philosophies well articulate that and how to find out who and what we truly are and to live our true life and a better life and even into a good death. That's another subject which I'd like to get into. We'll come back to Wayne. Uh, I myself found this stillness or stepping off of the treadmill of events very, very helpful. You know, I felt like I was staggering forward on the treadmill of events as if life was a big to-do list. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, just being carried forward by the momentum or like a gerbil on the gerbil wheel, the faster I ran, the mm-hmm. faster, more tired I get, and this wheel spun faster, but didn't go, go, roll anywhere like a gerbil wheel. And so, you know, I went into meditation and other things when I, you know, when I graduated from college and went to India and stayed there for a long time and did these practice yoga and meditation all. In, in Asia, of course, the, the Sabbath and the rest is something that they don't necessarily have every day unless it's a Christian influence, like the Buddhist countries, the new moon and the full moon is kind of their Sunday. Right. Um, in Nepal, it's Monday, that is the day of rest. And, you know, in every country it's different. But I'm thinking, you know, the real, in more like the immediacy of the, the nowness and the direct access to the natural perfection and wholeness of things, Every day is a Sabbath, and we can find rest even while we're moving, like by walking, feeling the earth, not just projecting outside of ourselves to where we're going to go and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested in this idea of Sabbath and how it could be relevant to people today with the diversity of faiths and believers and non-believers, how people can find this kind of resting place or inner stillness, even in movement and so on. Any thoughts? Well, I think for me, part of the doorway um, that I'm seeing more and more in our whole culture, um, and because our culture has spread through a good part of the world, it's often seen in other countries as well. Um, Culture doesn't necessarily respect boundaries, uh, and that is, you know, what we were referring to before about the degree to which um, people are working um, more and uh, and resting less, and um, that certainly has consequences. But people feel where if I'm speaking with groups of uh, parents, teachers, nurses, uh, doctors, uh, uh, clergy, social workers, uh, it doesn't matter anyone who's trying to do anything in the world to try to be of use. Most people are, are at a point where really what they have to give is a, a kind of dishonest kindness because <laughs> what they have left is, is really a need for care <laughs> because they've spent themselves long ago to the bottom of the well and um so burnout well and, and a wounded healer yeah so, i mean all those things are true and at the same time culturally you know there are a lot of um uh one of the things that i love about uh, uh, gerald may uh he spoke about love and the opposite of love 
not being hate as um, is commonly talked about and not fear as many spiritual traditions t teach but the opposite of love he said is efficiency <laughs> that's a great thought I'll have to quote him <laughs> it, is, it's, it is a great yeah. because what it points to is that right. in a way we've become functions in an enormous machine and yeah, that I was going to say closed down like driven not open and connecting to right, and it's in the moment, the warmth, but only right. to the goal. Yeah, because then we become like a, a thing. It's like an I. Like an automaton. Yeah. Right. It's like we we we're not. It's not an I thou relationship. It's an I it relationship that we end up being in with the world. And so, if we're a thing or a function, then we're easily replaced, and our value then. Yeah, isn't really the value of a living um, sacred being. <laughs> the, the value is uh, measured in metric terms uh, in terms of how many X's you can produce in Y period of time. And so um, uh, The Atlantic um, uh, had a cover story two months ago about um, polling American families and uh, the question was put, how many, like, can you come up with $500 if you have an emergency in your family, if, if some, the car breaks down or someone goes to the emergency room and you need $500 and you empty your pockets and your savings account and your checking account and all the money that you have without selling anything or borrowing anything, would you be able to come up with that $500 in 48 hours? Yeah. And the number of American families who said no to that question was 62%. Oh, no. And that's a story that we that I feel in every room that I speak to, but we don't hear or see mirrored no. back in the culture. And so people are driven by – and, of course, real wages have gone down 38% since 1999. So people are living paycheck to paycheck, literally, almost two-thirds – of the people in the in this country, not even talking about the rest of the world, but in this country, people are living paycheck to paycheck, and so the pressure to to work those sixty seventy hours just to make it to the next paycheck explains not only the rise of all these paycheck um, loan stores, but also that sense of of feeling like you're just a thing mm -hmm. and not a real deeply holy being that's that's not what we're being mirrored uh, as in all of the people and cultures ar around us and that and people's hearts are broken because you can't bring the best of whatever gifts and blessings you have to the table if that's how you wake up feeling every morning right and, and that's a very damning statistic but more than just the on on extreme poverty even in, that even in this one of the richest or richest countries in the world, 62% of the people would still be that living that close to the edge, even though they're working a lot and hard and two or three jobs, et cetera, as we know. Well, what, what can we do about this? You're a philanthropist, you're a spiritual activist, social activist. You, you've led churches and charities and fed the poor and stuff like that, mm -hmm. your bread project. Mm -hmm. What can mm -hmm. we do about this, Wayne? I'm thinking about these things too. It's this election year, you mm -hmm. know, this electile dysfunction that we face, <laughs> as Alan Dershowitz has called it recently. 
I like that. I love and that. So, you know, what can we do about <laughs> this? There was a Viagra to <laughs> I mean, I hope people will come out and vote, not like it, the Brexit where only the disgruntled voted. Nah, people had a big surprise and, and upset there. Um, we don't want to have that kind of surprise in this lecture cycle. So I hope all of our friends and listeners will be raising their voice and be heard. But more in the long term, you know, because this is just a local election in this country and for four years or eight years, important as it is, what can we do for the next generations, do you think? And how can we redress this imbalance and have people working more meaningfully and fulfilled and productively and also more equitably redistributing some of, you know, Mm -hmm. the food, the wealth, the educational opportunities, and so on. Well, I, I think um, obviously that's you know really the question that we're facing as a as a people. Um, because even when people talk about uh, climate change, for example, people getting caught up in you know whether it's true, how it's true, what can or can't be done. Really, at this point, the question is more: um, it's human. Uh, uh, adaptability change because the fact is there are islands that are disappearing <laughs> I mean you know Manhattan is an island you know the world is already changing so really as human beings we're facing uh, 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 how can we adapt to being alive in the world together this way and I can't remember if it was Bucky Fuller or um, uh, Gregory Bateson, but it was one of those, you know, really brilliant people who get something into a into a, a really pithy um, saying. But it was something to the fact that you really can't change the dominant culture. You can just build an alternative that's more attractive, mm -hmm. and then you know yes. get people to get involved in that. And so I've been working with a lot of groups of millennials who are doing just that they're you know meeting in um various circles for various purposes in various cities and as a elder of sorts um i've been invited to quite a few of these and not one meeting has been in a windowless hotel conference center <laughs> every single one has been in a in an airbnb house <laughs> that someone found and there are people on couches and sleeping bags and it has nothing to do with how much money they have that's how they'd rather meet uh closer to the ground in circles not hierarchical and and so i'm watching them and and accompanying them uh as they build alternatives to um to to that and um so um one initiative is actually um uh, i spent some time in in three convents last winter and um realized that uh, they were all selling off all these properties uh, in so many cities across the United States because they're running out of members and money. And I'm meeting with all these millennials who are on fire about all this energy and excitement. And, and they're ready to blow up these buildings. I'm going, well, hang on, hang on, wait, 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 wait. So, so, uh, so, so we're going to have a meeting between uh, representatives of three or four different members. Um, of uh, people who are, uh, you know, in um, convents uh, who uh, 
and groups of millennials who, if they inhabited that space, would take the story of these sisters, many of whom are, are there's some amazing stories of things they've done, you know, and, and they brought, you know, the idea of social work to this country. They, they brought health care and hospitals to this uh, country. They started so much, and their stories were appearing with them. And if the millennials were sort of reincarnating their story in their company, um, everybody wins. They get all these wonderful places to meet. Everyone would know that if you're, you know, in your 20s and 30s and you don't know what you're going to do or you need a place to stay, where do you go? The local convent. (laughs) Well, it would have to probably be reframed, but uh, yes, that's a great idea of how to uh, redistribute the wealth and resources. Since you mentioned Bucky Fuller, Buckminster Fuller, and if anyone's not familiar, you should Google him. He was a genius. He invented the geodesic dome, for example. Um, He said there's enough food in the world for everybody, but it's the distribution and inequality that results in the great problem of hunger that we Mm -hmm. have in the impoverished countries. So I think redistributing what we have has to occur, but based on some closing of the gap between the haves and the have-nots and the rich and the poor. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to see without systemic change or making a new system or opportunity, as you said, a new, more ideal community, as many of us have tried in small ways. Without that, it's hard to see what the answer is when we listen to the people that have the public eye or or the uh, megaphone. No, it's true, and and, and uh, interestingly, a, a lot of the millennial groups that I meet with are very interested in the idea of Sabbath, or at the very least, looking at the trance of ordinary time and how um, powerful it is, and creating an alternative to that where the way they live in time together is different. Um, it's very hard when you're um, working uh really hard really fast all the time trying to grab as much as you can just to stay alive that grabbing impulse go, becomes part of our cellular uh way of being alive whereas um in a time of stillness you get a deeper sense of your fullest inventory um you know what do i really have here what do i really need here um, and then we get back to those moments of, you know, this breath, this piece of bread, um, this moment, this um, friendship, this moment of of love and care, and at the end of the day, that's enough. And we can't feel that on in that, as you said, that hamster wheel of constant productivity and acquisition and productivity and acquisition because everything ends up being in that efficiency realm as Gerald May said we we lose love, we lose um, mystery, we lose grace we lose wonder, we lose curiosity we, we lose all the things that enable groups of people to do marvelous things with very little materially but we've all, you know, you and I and many people have both seen through different um, programs when people are on fire about something um, they can make almost any 
anything happen when they bring their those those subtle gentle gifts to the table yes uh, beyond what we imagine also i think one of the things that i want to add to that list uh, that we lose is we have appetite but we do, don't have taste anymore we can't savor anything because we're just always mm -hmm. constantly running or reaching for the next thing and not stopping to enjoy appreciate savor taste swallow and digest before we're just stuffing the next experience down or reaching out for the next thing and that's a big problem today you mentioned a time i wrote a whole book about time buddha standard time and the infinite possibilities right. of living in the now i talk about things like the divine time or the holy moment of course the christians and the buddhists and will have a different way but really convergent ways of thinking about this like beyond past present and future and impermanence and what moth and dust can corrupt as it says in the good book mm -hmm. just the now the holy now the radiant isness how how we can tune into that as like the moment of sabbath amidst our busy day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, or have many moments of mindfulness or whatever we call it a moment of the now take a mini sabbath any time in the day one mm -hmm. breath one moment one prayer, one mm -hmm. expression like, ah, and look at the sky, that kind of thing. That helps perforate the solidity of a solid, very solid uh, day, a, a pressurized day for me. And that perforation helps the fresh air mm -hmm. of nowness and spirit freshness blow through. So I wonder yeah. what you do, how, how you do it, how you bring it into daily life. Well, I think what you're describing also, um, it, it sort of shakes the trance a little bit um, so that even stepping out for just a moment or two, um, uh, we realize that, oh, right, that's, that's a whole mindset. That's a whole self-defining world that we just stepped out of. And um, um, I, I, you know, and much like the way you described, um, I've I've learned that for me I, I I can't follow a sort of traditional Jewish one day a week Sabbath. Um, I need <laughs> I need Sabbath several times a day <laughs> in order just to stay sane enough to keep putting a noun and a verb in every sentence. I mean, <laughs> I have to get out of the out of that trance several times a day uh, in order to um, uh, breathe and and remember where I am and. Who who I am and what I'm doing. So uh, I will often, um, uh, you know, just if it's uh, this kind of time of year, I'll just walk outside for uh, five or ten minutes in between, um, you know, uh, this and that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll step out of um, the frenzy of whatever group I'm in, trusting that they'll hold the universe together somehow without me, uh, and, um, and just leave when I need to and then come back. And um, and often it's pretty much where I left it anyway. Um, but uh, but I, I find I need to do that pretty um, regularly. But what's interesting is that even one of the people on the uh, the faculty of a, a group that I'm working with it. Um, Ghost Ranch, which we can also talk about later. I, we were on a phone call yesterday, and he's a he's a 
uh, Hispanic activist. He has been for 40 years here in New Mexico working with tremendous poverty here. Um, and, and he has a, a, a group of um, young Hispanic leaders in New Mexico that he mentors. And um, one of the things that he notices, he says, whenever he goes to a, a conference about anti poverty or anti-racism or anti-oppression or whatever, the conference itself is structured just like the world. It's chock full of people getting as many workshops in as possible, trying to get as many things done, trying to accomplish as many uh, initiatives or coalitions as, as they could fit into a three-day period. And he said, I realized, you know, after you know, talking about Sabbath, how this time oppression, you know, as he calls it, um, really denies uh, people of color, for example, um, the opportunity that time creates to create different kinds of relationships, different kinds of communities. Um, and so even when you go to a conference on anti <laughs> Race or whatever. If if what you're doing looks just like the dominant culture, it doesn't matter what the content is because you're going to be feeling like you're basically building the same pyramid. <laughs> yes, I was going to say there's time famine, and it feels impoverished because you can't nothing get nothing gets in. There's right. just more coming in all the time, but nothing gets digested and replenishing you. I think this is a big problem that we have today. Um, don't you think about everybody says they don't have enough time, but I think it's not time we lack, but focus, priorities, and awareness, and that life is really long enough for those who know how to live. In fact, did you write a whole book about that with the four great questions of how should I live my life and where is my happiness and things like that? Yeah, I think, again, both are true. I think, yeah, obviously, you know, um, we've all been given, uh, you know, this astonishing human life, and it is, you know, what it is. And uh, people, you know, people think about people like Mozart, who lived for 30-some years, and, you know, the things that he did in that period of time. So it's not necessarily all about length of time, obviously, um, and and what people find when um, there are exercises that I'll give people to just take 20 minutes and go out and walk, um, amble really, um, really slowly and just let your curiosity stop you in, and just do it in silence. And if you see a, a, a stone that has an interesting shape or a cloud that's caught your attention or just let yourself be stopped, watch it and then give thanks, move on. In 20 minutes, um, people can feel how that kind of attention slows time down because that 20 minutes can feel like an entire day, um, whereas people can spend five hours in front of the computer and look up and realize five hours have gone by. You have no yeah. clue what you've just right. done. Well, I, I love uh, nature. I think connecting with nature is probably the most original or natural form of spirituality or sanity among us humans <clears throat> on this planet. Um, I myself have a little recent discovery to report just, you know, for me, Wayne, which is I sort of befriended the trees or I found out that the trees are my friend. Mm. Slowing down and not just hugging them, but looking at their bark and leaves and 
you know, almost like I could paint each one if I had the, the right brushes for mm. each leaf. Mm. Each tree has a different, you know, brush strokes for each leaf. Mm. Uh, and that they're enduring and yet flexible and resilient and so on. And, and, and so renewing the air with their breathing cycle, etc., and the fruits right. that they drop and the seeds. And I used to be, I am a water man among the natural elements. I love being ocean, lake, mm -hmm. water, any right. kind of body of water. I naturally meditate or relax or dissolve or something. It washes everything away. But somehow I've discovered trees lately, and I'm sort of proud to report that only in the sense that anything's possible, you know, I'm with even our age still growing mm -hmm. and glowing. I could feel the earth with spring, especially growing up through me. And it's a, it's a fantastic feeling. It only came, I felt, from slowing down and mm -hmm. walking among the trees and not being plugged in and not mm -hmm. having the earphones or the cell phone or listening to podcasts or, you know, any of the, or, mm -hmm. or even my books on tape mm -hmm. or whatever it is today, but just co-meditating with nature, not sitting and meditating, co like interbeing with nature, intermeditating with nature and the trees in the natural way. And I really recommend that. My last book is about that, Make Me One With Everything, co-meditating mm -hmm. and intermeditating with everything, including nature. But of course, your loved ones, your pets, the, the, your higher power, your children or whatever. And what you're bringing to that moment, which is so beautiful, is um, an unhurried... Um, non-accomplishing time and care and attention to that moment so that we're open to surprise is that kind of beginner's mind that, you know, Suzuki Roshi uh, named. And um, because of that, um, you know, how do we allow people who are really forced to... Um, uh, to in some way um, make it from paycheck to paycheck, how are they going to find the kind of time to really drink from that well and remember that their life isn't just about efficiency because efficiency is if you were looking for a particular thing in the forest in a hurry, you wouldn't have seen any of those trees. Right. That's what efficiency is. It turns us into something that's trying to get from A to B for some purpose that doesn't really have anything to do with our life at all. And the opposite of that being love is a state that you were just describing. That was a state of love. And that is what I'm uh, in you know, my time and and attention trying to um, uh, invoke uh, collectively with people on how do we live in time in such a way that we're in love. And it requires that um, stepping out of the trance of productivity and getting to the bottom of the to-do list as being the reason I got up this morning. And that sadly is the shape of the destiny of a lot of people who are, are, are struggling with just being alive in the world today. And I think this, the, the issue of how we, you know, help one another, um, you know, we can't do this completely alone. We really need each other for this. Yeah, and we do, we, we, we need each other. No, no yeah. one can get it, do it alone. 
Right. No one's exempt from participating. Also, we're all interdependent and interconnected, obviously, and not just the humans, but all the creatures and beings and even the whole environment as we see today. And I think that's a real challenge to awaken from the trance of separateness, of egotism, of material progress as the sole arbiter of success, as if it's all about quantity and not quality. And just hurrying forward, like you said, if I was hurrying through the forest and, you know, just thinking about where I'm going to get to, I would mm -hmm. miss, miss the whole journey and not have discovered my friends, the trees that I love so much now, and they're sort of right. taking care of me and even embracing me in a way or growing up, you know, nature growing through me in a way is more part of nature. Right. So how do we slow down? I also feel like I need to do that a few times a day and ha have that Sabbath moment or... 15 minutes or, or whatever. Of course, I have my hour meditation practice too. Mm -hmm. um, how do you do it a few times a day? Are you a meditator, a prayer, a relaxer, a singer? What do you do? Well, there's a few things that I do. Um, I, one of the things is I live in a particular neighborhood in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I live, which is a, um, a lot of people have, um, they're mostly small old adobe houses and almost everyone who has a garden has the garden in their front yard um which is really sweet because i get to see all the seasons and all the changes as i walk around the neighborhood and i usually take you know a walk if not every day then almost every day you know about you know a couple miles um uh, and i can just make rights and lefts and and you know go this way and that way and um eventually end up home on at least on the good days <laughs> and uh, and I will have seen a whole different uh, world and and of course as as you you know speak about the trees you know remember that hardly anything in nature moves quickly unless unless there's like a real emergency or a catastrophe in in the main the pace of nature is quite slow um, but it's also quite abundant, and we associate abundance with getting a lot of things done quickly. And um, that's where, again, you know, Gerald May's quote comes to play because we associate efficiency with success and getting more and having more, when in point of fact, um, you know, having gatherings with people um, inviting them to step out of the trance of ordinary time and uh, come to the um, uh, the mountains and the and the cliffs and the hills of um, New Mexico and and be and feel eternity all around them. You look at the cliffs in uh, uh, northern New Mexico and the, the town around Abiquiu, New Mexico, where George O'Keefe used to paint. You know, people think of her as an abstract painter, but <laughs> really, she's, that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> you know, but, you know, ladders flying by in the sky the whole thing that's exactly exactly what it looks like and um and you see these striations in the rock and you realize you're looking at mi hundreds of millions of years all around you and 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 it's such a gift to be held by that crucible of eternity um it's like another 
teacher um, uh, being present. So, um, you know, it is one of the invitations that I, uh, I, I, I'm privileged to make because of where we are and, um, and, and, what, and the way that the earth presents itself around here, which is why, you know, the, like the desert mothers and fathers and so many religions had people spending time in the wilderness for, for a reason, because it takes our attention away from the hustle and bustle of the trance of productivity and accomplishment in the city and, and, and out where none of that really matters and all it is is you and your life and life and death and time and eternity and how's it going? <laughs> well, what, what the heck are you doing out there in Abiquiu at the Ghost Ranch where Giorgio O'Keefe painted and Steiglitz took pictures? And, you know, I lead retreats around the country and around the world, and I've been in a lot of retreat places and holy places. What are you doing? Don't you have a 10-year project of some kind out there? You invite people to come for retreats there and step off the grid and break the trance of mistaking move, mere movement for meaning and really touch, touch some kind of fundamental authenticity or reality for themselves? What's yeah. your invitation? Well, the invitation is um, uh, that I, there are many people, uh, there are many ways into this. Um, you know, it's like I was speaking about the uh, gentleman who is a Hispanic uh, organizer, mm -hmm. and, and you wouldn't, you know, you would think that, you know, he's um, uh, very concerned with, you know, as many activists are, you know, getting as much done. And, and But he's been doing this his whole life, and he's watched, you know, the model of people just burning out and then going by the wayside, and you p replace them with, you know, younger, more angry people. <laughs> <laughs> engaged Buddhists, right, not just exactly. engaged Buddhists, as right. we call them. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, and he's even realizing that, like, that creates a kind of time oppression. And then, um, you know, there are Native Americans on our faculty who look to ceremony and ritual and things that they do that take people out of ordinary time. And then there are people who do Reiki and, uh, and other forms of... Um, body um, work meditation to get people to feel in the cells of their body being out of the trance of ordinary time and it's all basically uh, we, we in Ghost Ranch um, uh, something we're calling the Center for Living Sabbath um, said look this is the issue of our age are you willing to commit 10 years to making this the sort of the center of your programming and after about a year's conversation they said okay we'll do it so um so that's what we're doing with them and finding so many different ways in um because some people will find the jewish sabbath to make an awful lot of sense whereas some people will find uh, going into a sweat lodge makes a lot of sense some people you know a meditation retreat will make sense and the point isn't to replicate a particular kind of uh, legalistic tradition anything that gets us out of the trance of ordinary time where we're pressed to produce and accomplish and make things happen and do more 
with less. You know, the Pharaoh was the original more with less guy. You know, he, <laughs> you know, he, he said, okay, now you have to make more bricks and I'm not giving you any more straw. I mean, <laughs> that's, he was the more with less guy. And, you know, the whole story of the Jews getting to the other side of the river is then they became Sabbath people. They could take a day off. <laughs> So essentially, it's an invitation to come across the river. <laughs> well, a wise a friend of mine said the other day, uh, Surya, you've done so much, you could afford to take it a little more easy, you know, at your age and stage. And I said, really? <laughs> it's like a surprise. <laughs> really? <laughs> this stuff which can be done, you know. Yeah. And one has the energy and to to whom much is given much is you know expected or right. possible right. but but still yes um being here while getting there every step of the way not just always rushing and mistaking quantity of time and overlooking quality time that's obviously right. a problem we have today in our time famine era our over information age and and our violent era um what do you think about you know, since you're talking about time and eternity, mm-hmm. I'm involved with some young people who who have a high-tech startup called Milestoned. Mm-hmm. You can look it up, milestone.com. And mm-hmm. they're bringing memorializing online mm-hmm. so people don't have to bury, you know, or, or go back to visit a, a tombstone in the other country. We have a mobile society and world bring memorializing online in a very interactive and interesting way. And, mm-hmm. I, and I can see this as a wave of the future. Mm-hmm. Just like now we have our pictures on our cell phones and, you know, albums and other things online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it begs the question of how we work towards and experience a good life and a good death mm-hmm. without regrets, fulfilled, right. Right. And, and, and so forth. You know, in, in the spirit of Sabbath, even like now right. we can take rest, we can let go, we can right. let down. Done right. is what had to be done. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Well, you know, I think, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I mean, it puts me in mind of, you know, the saying that the Jews used to have that, or still do, you know, that it wasn't. Uh, Israel that kept the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath that kept Israel. <laughs> kept the when when, yeah. when the when the te- when the temple uh, was destroyed, people didn't have a physical place to meet, and so time became the sanctuary in which they gathered. And so, when the sun went down on Friday night, that became their collective sanctuary. And so, online people can gather in time when they're not in the same place, which is a beautiful resource. Um, And time is one of the things that the heart needs to know what it knows. The mind can move, especially with our technologies, really quickly from one thing to another. The heart needs time to know love, to know um, honesty. To feel. Yeah, to to feel um, authenticity, to feel collaboration, to feel what happens, what the trees are doing when it looks like they're just standing there. That takes time. Um, Friendship takes time. Children need time. Everything we hold is precious. Growth takes time. Evolution. Yeah. 
So if we keep parsing time into smaller and smaller bits, at a certain point, we actually, just by the laws of physics, eliminate a culture that ha that says, well, we really can't have any of that stuff anymore. We're kind of sorry about that, but <laughs> but we just, we're not going to do any of that anymore. And that's sort of the world that most people live in because the time that it takes the heart for any of those things to happen, most people don't have. And so the, really the most radical challenge to the culture is to challenge the way that it lives in time. So that's what we're inviting people to to do and it doesn't involve manning the barricades it involves something much more pleasant like rest <laughs> well there's a saying from India from the ancient scriptures the Upanishads of India rest is sacred that's not something we hear in the Judeo-Christian or Protestant ethic no. milieu or it's like that uh, that uh, little sign up in Nanital, make haste slowly. <laughs> <laughs> and you will soon arrive. <laughs> I'll see you a sign in Nanital and raise you a sign in Darjeeling, where I used to live. Are you ready? I am. Um... The billboard says, better to be late, comma, Mr. Motorist, than the late... Mr. Motorist, <laughs> <laughs> on this winding Himalayan road up to the hill station of Darjeeling, the right, British tea right. plantation. Winding it. Himalayan road with no shoulders, no rails, no lines. Right, right. <laughs> Better be late than the late right. motorist. <laughs> this is where grammar is really important. <laughs> well, you and I know the importance of a comma. That's right. right <laughs> Eats, shoots, and leaves, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, listen, it's great talking to you. I look forward to our annual sit and schmooze and walk and talk by the Charles <laughs> oh, River, the mighty well. Charles River here in, uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I know I'll see you in December around the, the holiday month. I look forward to that. Uh, yes. Any last words or a, perhaps a prayer or a song or chant you'd like to share, Brother Wayne Muller? Well, um, uh, my Chris phone is ringing in the background, so that the world, you know, letting me know that the, yes. <laughs> uh, time, time is up. Time, time, time is wanting. <laughs> time you moves know. on. But you know, it, it is interesting because that, in a way, that phone is ringing. You know, for each of us in different ways all the right. time. So, you know, I think the the wish, the prayer, the blessing is to. Um, is to feel a deep sufficiency mm. um, wherever we are in whatever moment we're in and that that sufficiency grants us permission to put down all of our tools and fears and worry and and drink from what we've been given and to enjoy what we have um, and to imagine that what we have as the lesson of mana in the desert is enough for today. That whatever we've been given is enough for today. Content. I'm content with that. Thank you. Mm. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, my friend. It's a delight to have your company. You too. Love to you. And love to one and all. And talk soon. And more I look forward. More awakened. Now podcasts, winging your way. Thanks, Brother Wayne.
My pleasure. Blessings to you. And you. Namaste.